Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 133 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for bringing you new perspectives for the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing as we speak right now. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's will be no exception, but it's not my job to introduce our guests. My co-host Kathleen Beauvais does it so much better than I do. Before I introduce her, let me give her side of the business a bit of a plug. She wears several hats, and uh, the main one is answering your IT problems. She's a specialist in recruiting people for your IT department. That's enough. So welcome, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. And thanks for that intro. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is G. Ranasina, coming to us from France. Hello, G. How are you? I'm very well, Kathleen. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, G., you are the founder and CEO of Taxino Marketing Agency. For our audience, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into the world of marketing? Absolutely, sure. Well, I've been in marketing a long time, Kathleen. I've been in marketing since around 1998, since the days of dial-up internet and AOL CDs. Remember those? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, for seven years, I was a worldwide director of marketing for software companies, and we were serving blue-chip clients such as Time Inc., IKEA, Nestle, Airbus, and Marvel. Um, The thing is, when... How Kixino came about was while I was at this company, I, as, as part of my role, I would invite marketing agencies to pitch for our, for our account, for our business. And I was amazed at how none of them would take any fiduciary responsibility for the marketing plans that they were producing. All of the agencies I saw were more interested in the tactical elements web design and ads and events and this sort of thing. But nobody was asking me about the business results on which the marketing plan needed to deliver. And I I thought that was a little bit crazy. Um, I mean, it dawned on me that there were a ton of startups and small businesses out there needing help with marketing from a business perspective. Designing and managing a marketing plan, generating qualified leads, but from a purely business perspective, without getting into the tactical know-how. At the same time, this was late 2007, um, a thing called the internet was beginning to affect our daily lives. I don't know, maybe you've heard of it. Um, (laughs) Probably it was a big deal. Um, in, In those early days, It was the big brands who were taking advantage of the potential that the internet provided because obviously they had the deeper pockets, right? And they had the greater technical experience. So small businesses were getting left behind. Now, I mean, 2007 was the year the iPhone was launched, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And affordable broadband was something that everyday people were now considering. Um, so I thought there was an opportunity for a marketing resource 
aimed at small businesses and startups that could help them leverage the power of online engagement. So I looked around and I couldn't find a marketing agency that took that kind of approach. So we started our own, basically, and that was in 2008, which, as you may remember, was not exactly the best year to start a marketing agency. That's right. That's right. Yeah, not exactly my best business decision, I have to say. But, you know, through, you know, uh, a following wind, a fair amount of luck and some extremely supportive clients, we, we weathered the storm. Um, and, and we're here. And, you know, today, customer buying experiences are being set by some of the biggest brands in the world. And they are defining customer expectation levels for everyone else. So regardless of what you're selling, your business is being judged by the way your customers experience brands such as Apple or Nike or Zappos or whomever else. So smaller companies, and particularly startups, need to have access to similar levels of expertise mm -hmm. um, that the big companies take for granted due to the increasing importance of the customer relationship. So that's where an agency like us sort of comes in. Mm. So 2008 is when we started, so nearly 14 years later, we've helped around 400 startups and small businesses strategy, branding, design, SEO, copywriting, etc, etc. But to be honest, the range of services isn't the important thing. Um, tactical execution, I maintain tactical execution is the easy bit. Because at the end of the day, every marketing agency has similar tactical capabilities. It's, it's table stakes. It's, it's, it's the rules of entry. You know, we've, we've all got the same software. We've all got the same hardware. There's very little to differentiate us from, you know, the whiz-bang um, services that we're offering. We're all doing the same stuff. Right? Tactical is the stuff mm -hmm. that comes at the end of the engagement. What's far more important is the work that comes beforehand. Sitting down, taking time to understand the client business, customer buying behavior, segmentation, messaging, all the stuff that unfortunately very few marketers and even fewer marketing agencies bother with. Um, one other point just to mention, since we're talking about agencies, I do have an issue with the idea or the concept of a digital marketing agency. Why is that? Um, yeah, well, glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> because I think the word digital is superfluous. Because everything is already digital. TV is digital, billboards are digital, print is digital. So we, 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 we're using the term erroneously. But more than that, categorizing an agency as being digital does a disservice to its work and its outlook. It's, it's, it's putting a barrier up when in reality we should be looking to bring barriers down. Talking about a digital agency to me is nonsensical. You might as well say electrical agent. You know, sure, we So for me, it shouldn't be digital marketing. It should be marketing in a digital world. Right. 
Okay. And those two positions are very different. I don't think they're interchangeable. Okay. And I think the uh, phrase digital marketing is not only an outdated term, I contend it puts the focus on the wrong thing. What it should be is a marketing agency that uses the most appropriate channels of communication to address a target audience group. And that's it. So if, if we consider an agency as a digital marketing agency, we might as well say, you know, go back to URLs that have www in the address. I mean, it's, it's, it's superfluous. And if, if you also get into the Maslow's hammer um, scenario. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. I mean, some people call it the law of the instrument. You know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. You've heard yeah. that phrase? Yeah. So if, if you're automatically thinking in a digital-centric mindset, you're looking to solve problems from a digital perspective. And it may not necessarily be the most appropriate solution to that client issue. You see what I mean? Oh, absolutely. i I got to jump in here. I agree with everything you said, but I can see why many agencies call themselves digital agencies. And I'll give you the reason for saying that is if if I'm the age I am, coming on 70 years old or or late 60s, CEO of a fairly successful small to medium-sized business that's relied on largely word of mouth, local radio, perhaps local TV, local print and yellow pages all my life for advertising and run a reasonably successful business. And now in this era of the virus, things are getting a and my young horses, now we got into digital marketing. So if I, if I get in my chamber of commerce or something and I, there's a specialist who calls himself a digital marketing expert, that, that seed has been planted in my mind. So I'm probably going to talk to him before a conventional advertising agency. I'm not saying it's a marketing agency. I'm not saying it's right. But all I can say, all I'm saying is I see the merit in why a lot of marketing agencies are doing that. It's, it's, it's slipped into the vernacular, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's become part of the zeitgeist. Sure. But I contend that the, the, the solution doesn't have to be digital, especially at the moment, okay? If, Absolutely. If, you look, if you're looking at the moment where, um, you know, working from home policies, hybrid type policies are still being formulated by businesses of all sizes. Yep. And quite quite often um, the result is that you're having a workforce which is to a greater or lesser extent working from home at least part of that time. How do you get hold of those particular decision makers? Are you, mm-hmm. are you, you know, what are you going to do? And one option, you know, it, I mean, it obviously it depends on the business, it depends on the audience, it depends on the product, it depends on how one other things, right? But one option, for example, is to use mail post, mm-hmm. you know, USPS or whatever the Canadian equivalent yep. is. I'm sorry, I don't know what, what that is. Um, postcard mailings or, you know, direct response mail can work extremely well. We had, we had a client in, where were they? In Atlanta that were doing some very clever things and were trying to get in front of a particular audience segment and they tried lots of different things thinking digital we came in and we did a little bit of research spoke to a few customers current customers as well as customers who are no longer buying 
that particularly often let this client result in failure. And suggested doing a push It's not sexy, okay? It doesn't sort of get loads of column sure. inches or pixels, I suppose you would call it. Can't call them column inches anymore, right? Um, but we we put the campaigns creative together. We we rolled out the um, the campaign, and they had an uplift of thirty two percent. Yeah, there you go. Thirty two percent. Yeah. The you know the the message was the same. You know the the, the delivery the execution was a little different, but the message was the same. Purely by changing the channel, and this is what right. I mean about if you think about digital, you don't think about other channels which may or may not be uh, pertinent to the goal at hand. Absolutely. No, no, I, I know. I hear what you're saying. I agree. I want to ask you something that's um, <clears throat> picking up from something you've said in an earlier conversation. You, you say marketing today is in crisis. So, so what do you mean by that, Chief? Okay, we have to go back a little bit. Okay? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so in the, in the old days, let's say, marketing used to be primarily about persuading people. Okay, influencing them, to influence their behavior in order to deliver a commercial result. And then as a result, the best marketers of the day were familiar with concepts such as human behavior, human insight, or even, dare I say, psychology. Mm -hmm. Today, I have the feeling that 99% of the marketing that we see as consumers, especially in the online space, has been created to be more concerned with efficiency than effectiveness. It's as though marketing is being seen within the organization as a branch of logistics, which to me seems absolute madness. I think too many businesses confuse the word efficiency with the word effectiveness. Okay, so effectiveness, the way I see it, is about how well you're doing in achieving your goal. Okay, mm. how successful you are in delivering on whatever it is you set out to do. Efficiency, in contrast, is a ratio. It's about how much input you make to deliver a, com a particular output. Okay. So what I'm suggesting when I say marketing is in crisis is not because marketing doesn't work. And it's because I think, and this is contentious, I'll, I'll warn you now, I think marketing is ideologically disliked in the higher echelons of business. I think CAOs and CFOs have an inherent distrust in marketing because it goes against the sequential rational thought processes that accounts, economist, bean counters love. The problem with such rational based thinking is that human beings aren't machines that always think or do something in the same way. They don't behave logically. They don't behave rationally. I certainly know I don't which means effective marketing involves out of the thinking, involves creating experimentation. 
is all stuff that finds superficial and irrational. And to be honest, it scares most of them to death. So as a result, we have the current situation where marketing tactics are driven by efficiency geeks. So the company signs up to a bunch of marketing technology services. They slap some communications based on Canva templates and unsplash images that we've all seen a gazillion times before. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they vomit out 50 different versions of a communications creative and then measure the one that generates the most return. Right? Now, sure, it's efficient, but is it effective? Does it actually shift product to an appreciably greater extent to whatever the business was already doing? I contend usually not. Mm-hmm. Now, just to be clear, I'm not having a pop at Canva and Unsplash. Canva and Unsplash, oh, I love sure. you bits. You're great guys, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. What, I mean, these tools have made it easier for non-creatives to put together something that looks half decent, right? Yep. And these companies should be applauded for that. Absolutely. Yes. What I'm saying is that buying a set of Japanese kitchen knives doesn't make me Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> right? By chasing efficiency metrics. That's it? Oh, darn. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> By chasing efficiency metrics, businesses end up looking and saying the same thing. Right? But look at most of the marketing you see today. Okay? 10 will get you five. But if you covered up the logo, the exact same piece of marketing would be used by pretty much any. That's right. Right. Yep. yep. Right? So by pursuing metrics based around efficiency above all else, it's like we've exorcised the creativity aspect out of the equation. Hmm. Instead of doing the basics of marketing, customer research and segmentation and positioning and messaging and all that good stuff, right? We've come to the conclusion that bad marketing that's more targeted works better than great marketing that's spread wider. Mm. Right? So, which is why we get to the situation now where marketers resort to things like tracking cookies and remarketing tags and programmatic advertising and, and all that other stuff. They're focusing on getting the pizza delivered as fast as possible without realizing it hasn't been cooked properly and it's got the wrong toppings on it. All right. So, maybe you're already answering this question. Um, what do you see as the most common marketing mistakes by small businesses then? Well, that's, that's a podcast in itself, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know? um, I think if I had to pick three or four, I'd say the most common are talking about yourself, splitting activities across different providers, um, not having a marketing plan, mm-hmm. certainly, and self-diagnosing the problem okay so let's talk about the first one which is only talking about yourself and this is a common one and we've all seen it and we've probably been partly responsible for it over the years okay many businesses focus their messaging on how great they are Mm -hmm. oh we've been in business for 50 years our product is the best we have 200 employees in 10 countries okay this, you know, 
as though being in business for 20 years makes you somehow better than a business that's been in business for 10 years or five years. So if, I, if I've been in business for 50 years um, and Apple has been in business for 30 years, does that make me better than Apple? No. So it's nonsense. When I hear I, we have 200 employees in 10 countries, I hear you've got a really heavy overhead. <laughs> so your prices are probably reflective of that. The kind, this kind of marketing mistake usually happens when the people within the business forget who the communication is actually aimed at. Instead of thinking of the customer, they're thinking of themselves. And one of the hardest things for business owners to accept is you are not your target audience. Moreover, customers don't care about that sort of thing. They wouldn't buy whatever you're selling if it didn't allow them to do something that they couldn't otherwise do as easily. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? What they want to know is whether your selling makes their, their lives better in whatever way they define better. It's not about what you do, it's about what you do for them. So linked to this is the endless talk about product features stuff, you know, without framing those features in ways that customers can best identify. Yeah, I mean, you've heard of the phrase, features tell, benefits sell, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's never been important than right now. Instead of talking about the product, talk about how using the product solves a particular problem that the customer sees they're facing. You may remember or may have heard of the um, the professor at uh, Harvard Business School, Theodore Levitt, mm -hmm. often quoted as saying, customers don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole to sell the hole, not the drill. Yep. Right. So, you know, that's, that's certainly right up there in common mistakes. Okay. Another, another one would be splitting activities, activities across different providers. So you have a logo designer designing your logo. You have somebody else putting together your website. You have met another person doing your social media marketing campaigns. I mean, is it any wonder that nothing matches with anything else? I mean, you know, you're patting yourself on the back thinking you've saved a fortune. Well, actually, you've cost yourself a bundle. You know, the rea reality is customers see an uncoordinated mess. Nothing looks like it belongs with anything else. And, the, and there's a favorite added on to that is that nobody talks to the designer of the packaging. Of course not. Of course not. Everybody's doing, working in their own little bubble, yep. doing what they think they should be doing. You are the single point of management direction and coordination, but you don't have formal training and education in marketing. You don't know what to focus on. You don't know how to brief. You don't know what to ignore. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so invariably the result looks like something the cat threw up. Yep. <laughs> right? So unless you have a skilled and experienced marketing person on, on your payroll, separating marketing tasks across multiple providers will inevitably lead to fragmented brand communications and value proposition. It's inevitable. Yep. And it'll create confusion and obfuscation in your markets, in the minds of your audiences, and everything just becomes that much more difficult. Right. One, what was the next one? Marketing plan. Yes, not having a marketing 
too many business owners and too many marketers, to be honest, dive straight into the tactical side without having a real plan. Basically, they're, they're doing this. They're waving a wet finger in the air and winging the whole thing. But I think it's vitally important to have a defined list of the underlying business goals that any marketing plan should address. Because once you know what the target is, then you can design a clearly defined plan outlining the ways and means that you intend to deliver on those business-based goals. Right. Because if you don't have that, you don't know when and why you're winning. That's right. right? You, mm. you know, without defining, you know, segments and value proposition and market climate and customer expectations and all that good stuff, you risk losing opportunities unless you know exactly why your marketing isn't working, then you don't know how you can change it so that it is working. You know, maybe you're saying the wrong things to the wrong people at the wrong time or communicating from a place which they don't or won't expect you to be or maybe your pricing is off or your distribution is off or maybe they want to buy it in red and you only sell it in blue. You know, whatever that is, unless you keep track on what you're doing and how you're doing it and how often you're doing it, then you don't know. You're flying blind. Well, we're running low on time. Peter. We're running out on time. Yeah, yeah, we are. This is fascinating stuff here. Yeah. Uh, you reminding me of horror tales I've come across in my fairly long working life. <laughs> Some of them are almost the same words they use. Um, you're, you're based in France, but I think from your website, 80% of your clients are in North America. So being in France, that an advantage, a disadvantage? And what's the background to that? It has absolutely no bearing to be honest, Peter. Um, this, this stuff really works, apparently. From my agency perspective, we've always been based around a distributed working environment from day one. Now, you know, 14 years ago, making that business decision was quite rare. We were one of the very few agencies sure. doing that. Obviously, today, it's a lot more commonplace. You know, what I like to say is we were we were all working from home before it became fashionable. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think if there, if there is, you know, um, a secret to that, I think it's maybe we're we're putting a um, we're putting a um, North American veneer to uh, a European based marketing execution. And I think that resonates with a certain type of business owner. Um, a little bit of um, uh, de rigueur in, right. in a North American perspective, but without mm -hmm. going too far out to potentially you know, alienate prospects. Yeah, okay. Right. I mean, if they really want to go right off the other end, they could get someone in Australia, for instance. Yeah, I'm being... I, I have two people in Australia anyway. So, you know, maybe... I, I'm being rude to my, my other Southern Hemisphere <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> we, I know Kathleen wanted to ask you something, I think. Well, I, I know we're running low on time. So how do people contact you? Uh, if you want to contact me personally, the best way is probably through LinkedIn. Okay. Um, for the agency, um, you can, if you go to kexino.com, K-E-X-I-N-O, um, you can contact us through there. Um, there's a there's a group mail, hello at kexino.com, which goes to uh, a group of uh, group of us, and I'm on, on that list. Otherwise, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on lots of things. Excellent. Uh, yeah.
get in touch. Let's have a conversation. We'll put all that on, on for our audience so they can get hold of you. But i got a burning question i got to ask you. And I ask this of all the successful guests we have on our show. So you've had lots of experience now on more than one continent and with uh, lots of businesses. So based on your experience, what, what would you say is a single most important characteristic that do, <clears throat> distinguishes the really successful business leaders from the average? Well, from a business perspective, I don't know if I'm you know, particularly qualified to answer that, but I can answer that from a marketing perspective. Sure. And that is that I think successful business leaders are more comfortable with the notion that many parts of work, marketing work as a result of non-linear, non-rational based thinking. Mm -hmm. Business leaders who understand that marketing is an intrinsic part of the value creation process rather than a cost of doing business. They seem to be the ones who see the greatest business success. I think, you know, if you're a CEO or certainly a CFO coming from a classical economics background, you know, so-called Chicago School Economics Theory, they'd have an issue with that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think advocates of the Austrian School of Economics would agree with me. The Austrian School of Economics understood that marketing creates value every bit as manufacturing does. You know? Right. Right. You know, e even as far back as like the 20s, you know, people like Ludwig von Mises was saying that the value of a product is determined not by its cost, but by its perceived value, or as he called it, the utility to the customer. Utility. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, in other words, to the layman, the only real definition of value is whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. Right. Under, which, you know, is, 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 is where we are. Good business practices are not static. Organizations operate the sales principles and marketing techniques that can be traced back mm -hmm. to the 60s, while technology supporting sales processes have evolved sure, sure. over that. Yeah, very good. That's important. Thank you for that, G. So it was, uh, we could go on for hours, but unfortunately we, we have a time limit, so we have to bring it to a close, but there's lots more we'd love to ask you and perhaps we'll have the opportunity at a later date for that. So right. back to you, yeah, Kathy. I welcome the opportunity to, to speak with you again. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, G, for being on our show today. And thank you all so very much for tuning in. And again, we love reading your comments, so please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.